Welcome, everyone. As you find and make your way back to your seats, we are starting a new sermon series, which I realize is something pastors get really excited about, but out there you're just like, cool, man, thanks. We're getting into a, a new study. And as we finish out the perspective shift stuff that we had before, what we want to do is transition into a new season. A lot of times I get this question, you know, what's next? We've all been kind of in a survival mode during COVID. And so now it's time to think about what are we doing next and building towards something. And this is part of what I believe God is calling us to move towards. As we start here, I want to take you back to elementary school science class. Does anyone in here like science? Yeah. Oh, I, heard, I literally heard someone go, uh. <laughs> All right, I like science. If you like science, maybe you'll enjoy this. But one of the things that I loved is when you walked into the room and you see up on the teacher's desk that there was like something that will cause one of two things, right? And we're all after this in science class. Something that will cause an explosion or start a fire. And when you walked in and saw a Bunsen burner or something else like that, a set of chemicals that you knew were going to bound uh, towards that moment, it was like, this is going to be a good day, all right? This is going to be a great science class in, in this moment. And I want to remind you, so when you study fire, there's three basic things that every fire has to have in order for it to exist. It's heat, and it's fuel, and it's oxygen, all right? Heat, fuel, and oxygen. And over the next few weeks, I want us to attempt to ignite a wildfire of Jesus' love in and throughout every single neighborhood represented in this room right now. So think about your neighborhood, where you came from, where you woke up, the household, your neighbors around you, but I want you to broaden that. We've talked about oikos. Well, who is your household? Who do you have influence with? And my hope today is to begin through this series and over the next few weeks to cause us to start a wildfire in your neighborhoods, in your apartments. And God knew exactly who would be represented here today. And so I want us to think forward towards that idea. Now, a wildfire, like in its basic understanding, is just kind of a spontaneous, uh, uncontrollable fire in a given area. And usually that area has some sort of highly combustible vegetation, right? It's a dry uh, forest or something like that that it starts. And so if that is true of that, then we learn what does it take for us to cause a spontaneous, uncontrollable spread of God's love where we are at? Well, the science tells us we're going to need heat. We're going to need fuel, and we're going to need oxygen. Now, I brought this little device here today that I hope will be of somewhat of an interest to you all. If you've ever tried to start a fire out in the woods, right, you, you, you have your matches, you have your lighter, you got to collect all the things. I'm going to start a giant fire for you here today. We don't have the things to do that, so it would be a bad situation in our context but if we want to start with that idea of heat, fuel, and oxygen, heat is the beginning of that. You have to have some source of it. And you've been in a situation where the matches got wet, and then you maybe left your lighter back at home. And if you're a, a super Boy Scout, then maybe you know how to do the whole rubbing the sticks together, and you get the friction just right, and it takes forever. Has anyone done that successfully, by the way? I got one. Anyone else? I heard a, a yeah. I got a two, three, maybe. And then when I was a kid, I remember when this invention came out. Maybe it had been around for a while, but at least we had discovered it. We camped a lot as kids. We would go out into the desert. Remember, I grew up in Arizona. And so we would go out into the desert and do little campfires just spontaneously out in the public land. And what we would do is we got, my dad brought this to us. He said, hey, it doesn't matter what conditions this is in. All you need is this. It's called a magnesium bar. Now, there's a lot to this, and I'm not going to go into all of the specifics. But essentially, you have to have, this is a thing of magnesium. And when you shave it thin, it catches fire easy. We're going to skip that part today. But there's a flint, and this is a piece of metal, probably steel, right? Does anyone know what it does? Do you already know what this does? It sparks, right? Pretty simple. 
All I have to do is scrape it along here. It might take me a couple of times, but it causes a spark. I almost caught myself on fire. And so this is a tiny little fleck, right? You can see it kind of come off. It's got a little bit of a wow factor to it in this quick little moment because it's almost catching me on fire in the midst of it. But look at this. This thing, it only causes a tiny fleck of a piece of a fire. What it does is it causes a tiny piece of metal to get hot enough to get to a temperature level that when it shoots out, it is on fire just for this brief tiny second, and we call that a spark. And my question today is, if I can start a fire, and make no mistake, I can start a fire, we even tested it yesterday in our fire pit, just so my, my kids could see it in action, where do we get this kind of heat inside of our personal lives? Where does, where does the heat inside of our lives get to such an extent that it fans itself into a flame? And I mentioned last week that as a pastor, I don't I don't get the luxury of just kind of opting out of my Christian identity because every time you meet someone, it's first, right? Hi, what's your name? Cool, I'm Eric. Cool, what do you, what? Do. I know pastors that will kind of duck that, right? Well, I'm a teacher. I'm a public speaker. I'm a counselor. They have all these different reasons. I just say, I work for a church, man. I'm a pastor. And sometimes, I, I mentioned last week, I'll throw in the joke, like, are we still cool? Can we be friends still now that you know that about me? And, and sometimes, people, this, this is what I want you to see. When I tell what my vocation is, it is never just neutral. It is either good news or bad news, right? And so when I, when I have to out that in front of people, they have an assumption, usually based off of their history with church, Right? And so sometimes I come in, I say that, and I can tell that there's an immediate change inside of the person's uh, demeanor. They, I, I mentioned last week they stopped cussing in front of me or even apologized for things like that. One time someone even came up to me and they said this, oh, good. And in my head I'm like, oh, that's good, good, all right, cool. And he says, give me your phone number. Next time someone dies, I'll know exactly who to call to do the funeral. I'm like, you know, I'm good for something, right? I've got a role in this person's life. And so my vocation in public is not neutral. It's either good or bad news. Now, lots of people have had bad memories of the church. I didn't grow up in the church, so there was often you'll hear me kind of make jokes about some of the Christianese subculture. But others have legitimate trauma dealing with their history inside of the church. And I told you last week that one person I was recently talking to as a waitress, um, in, in, uh, I was grabbing lunch, doing a life transformation group with someone here at Common Ground. And she found out that I was a pastor, and immediately it was good news to her. I was like, oh, okay. So she hadn't been to church in decades. She went back to church recently because her mother had passed away, and they held the funeral in her childhood, her mother's home church. And so she said that immediately when she got into that situation, she felt a sense of comfort. She said, I remembered laughing with my mom jokes when we were sitting at the pews. I remember all of the good times in VBS. I remember all these cool conversations that I would have about life and the meaning of those things. This church was a comforting presence. And it took me off guard because I'm so used to hearing, you know, some of the baggage that we carry that it was really great to see a personal historic reflection that was very positive in this woman's life. And what I want you to see from her life is that she still had, after decades of being away, love for her, heat inside of her for the church. That the gospel, Jesus, and the story of who he was was still good news to her, and it was so deeply planted in her that an element of heat was left in, and it began to be stoked when we started having conversations. It started to burn hotter as we began to talk. And so I want to start off with this question for us today. 
What kind of heat do we have for the gospel today? In this room, think about yourself, think about your actions, think about who you are, think about the different ways in which you engage with church people, non-church people. What kind of heat do you have for the gospel today? For proclaiming the good news of the power of the gospel for the sake of salvation that comes only through Jesus. What kind of heat do you have? And anytime we think about something good, we always shamelessly share this, right? You've heard this before probably a hundred times, but when you come across something that you like, there is a fire or a heat kind of stoked inside of you. I like this thing. And it could be anything from a favorite restaurant to an ice cream shop. When I told people that I went to Sundays, member, and everyone came out of the woodwork like, oh, that's the best ice cream in Indiana. Everyone had an opinion about Sunday's ice cream shop. It is very good, by the way. We loved it. Movies, music, new things you like, gear for whatever hobby you have, right? I tried this thing or that thing, and, you know, I didn't like this or that, but then I ran out to this one. So everyone needs to check this thing out. If you're a golfer, do this. These are the clubs that you want to get. If you're into something else, you want to go over to this area, and you will tell people, evangelize, because there's a heat inside of you that this thing is good, and I want to tell other people. And if it gets hot enough, there is this drive, this motivation that begins to speak and to emerge out of you. If it gets hot enough, you become a conductor and you begin to bring that warmth to others, bring that heat and pass it on. And my question is, once again, what kind of heat do you have for the gospel so that you transfer it to others? And I want to show you something that Jesus said when he was talking to a young leader. It's in Matthew 22. Would you go ahead and, and cha- turn in your Bibles right now to Matthew 22? We'll have the verses up on the screen. Um, I did a little editing. All the verses should be up there, but I might skip a couple of pieces for time just to get to the things I'm trying to point out today. But Matthew 22, starting in verse 36, this is a, a, a young ruler, a leader, sorry, not ruler, a leader, an expert in the law, and he's questioning Jesus. And the expert in the law tests him with this question. Verse 36, teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. The first thing I want you to know is the heat I am referring to is love. The heat that I'm referring to is love. So when I ask you what kind of heat you have, what I'm really asking you is what kind of love are you holding? What kind of relationship do you have with Jesus? And does your relationship with him cultivate passion with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, with everything that you are, the whole of who you are? Or does your relationship with God revolve around a set of rules? Is it static or is it dynamic? Is it interactive? Do you engage with God in a way that you actually believe that this person, Jesus, the Father and and the Holy Spirit are, are active in your life? Does your relationship with the divine mean performing rituals and obeying rules in order to please him? Or is it more centered on this? Because the relationship with God, it does completely the opposite. It's radically different. He made the first move. He moved towards you before you were ever even alive. He made the first move. And God isn't after this mechanical obedience as if you can love your way into his favor. God doesn't operate that way. And if you operate that way, your love for Jesus will be cold. Your source for heat comes from a burning passion for the creator who chased after you 
who died and said, I'm going to sacrifice on behalf of you because I love you. Son and daughter, child, I love you and I'm coming towards you. And our faithful devotion is far from this just religious obligation, but it's stoked like a fire deep within us that drives us further and more committed than we ever could if we were just doing something out of duty or obligation. And so when we talk about this idea of speaking to others on behalf of the gospel, the beginning, the source, the fire, the heat draws from its origination from the love of Christ and the love that he has had for you. It's possible that your love has grown cold and just like every other relationship, it requires some kind of cultivation. Are you connecting with God through scripture? Is your prayer life vibrant? Is your community challenging you to go deeper? The people around you, people who know you and know Jesus, and they're challenging you to move deeper, to be more sanctified, to take more faith steps. Are you engaging the gifts that God gives you? I think there's something unique about that. God has given you these gifts, and so when you start to use them, it's something there that's like, man, this is something I can only do through you and your empowerment. So are you using the gifts that God has given you to participate in his kingdom work? And when was the last time, listen, listen to this, when was the last time you took an adventure with Jesus? When was the last time you stepped out in some sort of faith or took a risk in your walk with God? When was the last time you did something that took you out of your comfort zone because the Holy Spirit told you to do that? Because there's nothing boring about that. If you start to make moves like that, there is an aliveness, an animation that comes alive in you because you're like, man, this is crazy. When I first came to know Jesus, I remember thinking this kingdom stuff is just wild. I don't know what you all are doing, wasting your time and all of these things that you're doing. This kingdom thing has drawn me in to the extent that I believe I'm doing eternal types of things. So great, earn your money, do your things over here, do the stuff, do do what you need to do, right? But I am focused on this because honestly, I've tried all that stuff and it's just not very satisfying. And so as much as a 17-year-old could know, I'm standing there thinking, man, there is so much purpose in this, I don't even care about the rest of this stuff. Are you walking in faith steps, taking risks? My friend, Ed Waken, he wrote a book called Wildfire that we've modeled much of this. And feel free, we don't agree with all of the different things that are going on inside of that, but it's definitely worth your while if you'd like to check it out. It's called The Wildfire Gospel. He said this, Fires of love are prone to die out or be extinguished by distractions. Fanning the flames of our faith requires a mindset that understands that constant personal effort is essential if we want to stay close to Jesus. When we find our faith parched and dusty, it is time for an adventure and risk. We can choose to leave the comfort of a mundane and sterile faith and follow the lead of the Holy Spirit into the wilderness of souls that do not belong to Jesus. When your faith becomes adventurous, our dependence on and connection to God naturally increases. So does our heat. So does the temperature of our passion for God in those moments. And this is part of what keeps our faith exciting. God is not a boring God. And if you think he is, that's because your faith walk has been boring probably. And my challenge to you is to start taking some risks, start jumping out in faith, start building some stories of how God was faithful when you thought nothing was going to work out, but then it did. When you thought no one could help you, but then it did. And let me, I, I, this isn't a part of the notes. Maybe I should not do it, but I'm going to do it. 
uh, people who live in under-resourced communities walk in risk all day long. You have the privilege of choosing it. That hinders your walk with Jesus. Hear that. Okay, so, so okay, back to the notes, all right? Back, back uh, in, in this world of safety. Okay, so God naturally increases that. This is a part of what keeps your faith exciting. And I want to encourage you. This is what it says in John 3, 8. This is one of the first verses just hit me like a truck. John 3, 8 says, the wind blows where it wishes. You don't know where it's coming from or where it's going. So is the life of someone who's led by the Holy Spirit. That's exciting. Are you listening to the Holy Spirit? Because I guarantee you, you start acting out of what the Holy Spirit is telling you. Things are going to get real exciting real quick. God's love is the source of our love. And as he draws close to the Father, uh, as, as we draw close to the Father, it becomes more about his heart and his understanding. Our agendas tend to decrease and we increase the influence of Jesus inside of our lives, which leads us in a direction. And so I want you to see this. As we keep reading just this next verse, we realize that the commandment, the first one, overflows into the next. Verse 39. It says this, and the second commandment is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commands. And so loving God and loving others is connected. It, it has like this relationship. They, they work themselves out together. And so we see that, that, that when we have this love this, that transfers through us from God into our hearts, it is going to transfer out into others. It will naturally flow into something that impacts the world around us. So I want to quote one more time from Ed Waken in the book Wildfire. It says, love for Christ and his message is the driving force behind passionate, purposeful interaction with others. This type of love alerts us to the opportunities that are all around us on a daily basis. I want to read that again. This type of love alerts us to the opportunities that are all around us on a daily basis. Falling in love with Jesus and sharing the love of Jesus informs and feeds each other. And this is the foundation for evangelism. An undying love is what enables us to look into the eyes of those who are lost in suffering and tell them that Jesus is the answer. And when our love of Christ drives our love for others, it causes us to overcome un uncomfortability. It causes us to get out of the things that tend to hold us back due to fear. It tends to help us get over our doubts and the things that hold us back. And so we get over those things, but it only happens if the temperature for our love in Christ is burning hotter than the fears that are coming towards us. They serve as agents to make us cold. They cause us to keep the gospel to ourselves. 2 Corinthians 5, 11, I'm actually gonna jump to 13 and 14. There's a little aside in there that's not necessarily to the point here, but let me read this to you. 2 Corinthians 5, 11, it says, since then we know what it is to fear the Lord. We try to persuade others what we are is plain to God, and I hope it is also plain to your conscience. Then down to verse 13. If we are out of our mind, as some say, it is for God. Has anyone here been accused of being out of their mind for the sake of the gospel? I mean that. Anyone been accused of being like, you're out of your mind right now? All right, we got some work to do. <laughs> it is for God. If we are in our right mind, it is for you. For Christ's love compels us. Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. 
It says that Christ's love compels us to push through and endure all kinds of obstacles that would hold us back from engaging with the gospel. Christ's love becomes a type of thrust or this forward motion that will not and cannot settle for stagnation. So we should become spiritually agitated. Something in our hearts and minds and our spirits should say something's off here when you haven't seen someone come to know God in a while. When you haven't spoken about the gospel to anyone in a while, or when you haven't seen someone be baptized in this stage in a while, something in us should become agitated and uncomfortable and say, wait, something's wrong. Because if we're doing this right, those are the natural outcomes. Listen, if you've been content with the fact that you've not led anyone to Jesus or even spoken to someone about him, if you haven't brought a person who doesn't know Jesus into your house churches, and you've been the same group for years and years and years. And that is evidence that the heat has gone cold. That's evidence that you've done the community part really well. Well done. But, and I'll say devotion too, because if you're devoted to God, you will realize that his heart is so profoundly geared towards mission. And we've maybe been weak in those areas as a community. And so we want to let the fullness of those pillars, the three things that we tend to be about, not grow cold so that we are compelled as Christ, or as, as, as it says here inside of the scripture. Now, Paul loved the people. This is something I want, I want us to, to, to embrace. Paul loved the people he was around. He, it was a, like you see it over and over in the letters. I, I long to be with you. I miss you. I, he said in one case I, I, that he go, he, he's brought to tears because he wishes to be with other people that he loves in a community of believers that he has poured into, but he can't for the life of him stay anywhere too long. He, said, he realizes that his comfort with that Christian community, the love of Christ, it doesn't compare to the love of Christ that is so stirred and so hot within him, it compels him. It drives him to proclaim the gospel over and over. So I love y'all, but they need to hear about Jesus' love. And this is what, if you track through Acts, I love all y'all in Antioch, but Lystra hasn't heard of Jesus. Lystra, it's been a good time. But over here, Macedonia needs the love of God. Macedonia, it's been awesome. Philippi needs to hear the gospel right now. Thessalonica, Berea, Athens, Corinth, Ephesus, the Jewish people or the Greek people, he is constantly saying that he is compelled to, to I, it's not that I don't love you, they need to hear, know, and experience the love of Jesus. And so that he's constantly moving into that next place saying, I have to bring the gospel to them. Why? Because Paul had heat. His temperature was such that he had to continually move into that next place. So this isn't a negative idea that we forsake the communities that we get to retreat to, that we get to be a part of, that we get to cultivate our devotion with Jesus. But we don't do that at the cost of saying that we don't go anymore, that we don't reach out, that we don't proclaim. So Common Ground Northeast, this, hear this, where is your heat? Where is the heat? There are people in your neighborhoods that need the love of Jesus. There are people in your schools, workplaces. There are people in your grocery stores that need to know Jesus. That need hasn't gone anywhere. And my call, my prayer for us is to upend 
the things that make us comfortable to call into a generation in a church who has felt the love of God and they are burning hot and they cannot keep it in. So the more you love Jesus, the more you are going to be compelled to proclaim that love to those who are outside of the parameters of Jesus' love. You become the conductor. You take that heat and move it on. And we're not always hot, right? Like I, wanna, I don't want to be idealistic at the cost of understanding that the reality is that we aren't always hot. Or maybe it's just me, right? Sometimes you do want to just be like, hey, I just want to read this book on this airplane. I'm not trying to get into any deep theological discussions with you. I'm just trying to mow my lawn. I'm just trying to get to the thing or do the thing that is in front of me right now. So we don't always operate in a hot mode. And I want us to see that there are cultural conditions to consider when we, uh, when we engage with this. It's sort of the, the conditions that cause the matches not to light because it's raining and they got wet, right? And so what causes you to hold it in? What causes you to not share the gospel? And for many of us, not all of us, but for many of us, there is actually an emotional trigger that takes place when a pastor says, we should evangelize or share the gospel. A pastor speaking on this, his name is John Mark Comer, I know some, some of you uh, are, are familiar with him, he says this in one of his sermons, preaching the gospel, unlike practices such as Sabbath or silence and solitude, all right, so he's including preaching the gospel as a spiritual discipline, unlike those is an emotionally loaded idea. On the one hand, postmodern, I'll do this one so this is a, uh, him geeking out, right? Postmodern moral relativism. So, so think that through. Relative mor moral relativism has penetrated so deeply into the nervous system in the West with ideas like speak your truth or you do you or who am I to judge have become cliches. These are the assumptions that our Western culture is now built on. It feels that it's not rational, but it feels immoral to preach the gospel to a pluralistic culture where one of the highest moral values is tolerance. Now you can talk yourself into believing that preaching or proclaiming the gospel is, is immoral. Comer goes on to describe another side, and I think some of you will identify with this. The other side of the coin is more embarrassing than it is shame. We have seen an evangelicalism walk through a reckoning over its participation with racial injustice. We have seen a tarnished history of spreading the gospel through colonialism, imperialism, or fear-mongering, and even trickery. All right. Y'all remember when they would take a fake $100 bill and send it out as a track? They would drop it on the sidewalk, and so somebody would walk by, see this half-folded-up piece? I've done this. I've been this person. Like, oh, a $100 bill? You pick it up, and you realize, you open it up, it says, true treasures are found in heaven. You should know Jesus. Like, what? <laughs> this is not helping your cause, people. And so there's some embarrassing things in our history, right? Of how the, the proclamation of the gospel has taken place. The result of both these ideas, though, is that we're ashamed or we're embarrassed, so we keep our mouths shut because we have either embraced a cultural definition of morality and we're ashamed to violate it, or we are ashamed at the thought of being associated with this Christian caricature and the true broken history of our cultural missteps. Anyone identify with either of those two? And so when a pastor like me gets up on stage and says, we're going to teach about evangelism today, you may not do it literally, maybe you will, I don't know, but inside you can almost feel yourself rolling your eyes like, oh my gosh, here we go again. I want you to hear this. 
these are distortions of the gospel. Because at its heart, the gospel is good news. Do not let a misrepresentation of that steal the heat from your desire to proclaim what God has done inside of you with his life-changing love. Do not cool it down, that which God has meant to heat up in you so that you proclaim it. Others aren't ashamed of the things that they consider good news. There are all kinds of gospels being preached in our time, right? And we can name a few, right? We can talk about consumerism and consumption. Anyone gone on some, uh, I can't remember the term, I think it's uh, 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 shopping therapy. If you buy this new thing, it will make you feel better. It actually is a real thing. And for a while, it will make you feel better. And so every advertisement tries to get you to understand, buy my thing, you need this. You were unhappy before this, now you will be happy with this thing. We see health trends and different diets and workout routines that will say, hey, that thing didn't work, but if you try my new thing, you will be happy. Political affiliations and trusting that one side or the other, if you can get that person in power, will eventually work itself out into a better nation. Progressivism, conservatism, and I'm not just talking political, I'm talking ideological. These are all things that are being preached at us. National affiliations, individualism depicted as freedom without telling you the dark underside of loneliness, depression, and anxiety that could come with that. Any self-help book of any kind. These are all gospels. And they're being preached at you, proclaimed by our culture. And this is just a taste. It's not unique. And I want to just kind of roll with this little, little mention before we close up today. There were other gospels being proclaimed during Jesus' time. In fact, the Greek word is euangelion. And it was a word that was not invented by our New Testament writers, but by the Greek culture years and decades before them. It was used all the time. And during that kind of like, think about that time of Caesar and Etu Brute and people are kind of vying for thrones. They're doing this grab for power. Enters and leaders are changing over all the time. Alexander the Great is one of the most famous, right? But what they would do is not just conquer, they would attempt to win the hearts of the people, the cities, the towns that they would go into and take over. Because why? You can only spread your army so thin and have so many representations of your military power, but also you can only get so far by brute force. Loyalty comes only so far when you're forcing someone to do it. And so in the first century, when a new emperor would come in, take control, take power, they send a representative, sometimes a parade of folks down into a new area, into your town, they would proclaim their good news. I don't mean this metaphorically, literally, the euangelion, the good news, and the word that we use in our scriptures today comes from this moment. They would proclaim their euangelion. Alexander the Great would come in and say, the empire of Greece is here. Gather the people, parade in, let me make an announcement, this is the euangelion, the empire of Greece is here. Why is that good news to anyone? Well, because he didn't come with the assumption of subjugation, he came in by saying, and we're going to bring you education, and we're going to bring you health care, and we're going to bring you entertainment, and we're going to bring you aesthetics, and athletics, and plumbing, and air conditioning. Air conditioning? 
Can you not imagine being in that town and being like, I mean, I think I could get with these guys. I, I think Greece is all right. That's a pretty good situation for me to inherit by their taking over. Those are the four pillars, education, healthcare, entertainment, and athletics. Then Rome comes into power because all good civilizations have one thing in common. They end eventually. And so Rome comes in and it says, guess what? We have something to say. Send down the prey, gather the people. The euangelion is this. The good news is the kingdom of Rome is here. Well, why is that good news? Well, all the things that Greece brought you, we can do all of those things. And we are going to bring the Pax Romana, a relative level of peace. So every time a new Caesar gets power, they sent a royal word out on the euangelion, the good news of what they can bring into this situation. They fortify it. They print it on symbols, on their currency. They send out Olympic games. I didn't mean for that to be like a pun, but we're in the Olympics right now, and that's, that's what this was about. Part of the Olympic games was to put the stamp of this is what we can bring you if you come under and become loyal to, to our kingdom. That everywhere they would go, there would be a, an advent or an arrival every once in a while. Parousia, meaning they would send gifts, something like a bailout, like we would say a bailout today, and then they would enter in. Why? Because then you associate that person with the good news of they just helped me out financially. They're winning the hearts and minds with what they believe is good news. And these gospels were shamelessly proclaimed over and against competing ways of thought. Okay, so, so check this out. Each writer of the first four books of the New Testament, the gospel of Matthew, the gospel of Mark, the gospel of Luke, the gospel of John, these are not flippant word choices. The good news that they are coming and proclaiming, each one of them has a different audience, intentional, a different angle by which they're going to come at that audience so that they can attempt to subvert the ways of the world around them and the kingdoms that you live in now the ways of the existing ruling party, and persuade the audience that there is a new good news and it is better than the others. Do you know what it is? The kingdom of heaven is here. And we see that phrase over and over and over again. Let me read to you from Romans 1:14 through 16. It says, I am obligated both to Greeks and non-Greeks, both to the wise and the foolish. That is why I am so eager to preach the gospel also to you who are in Rome. There's some punch to that statement. For what I am, for I am not what? I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew and then to the Gentile. The gospel is the power of God to bring salvation to everyone. The Greeks and Romans can't offer that. Luke says it is the good news to the poor. It is freedom for the prisoner. It is recovery of sight for the blind. It sets the oppressed free. It renews. It heals. It delivers. It loves first. And this love is hot with two T's. All right? Hot. Paul is so convinced that his news is the best news that he is willing to be imprisoned and killed for it. The kingdom of heaven is here. Somewhere at some point it is possible that your awareness of the power of the gospel for salvation 
has been stolen from you. But at its heart, the gospel is good news, and it is good above all other good news that you could hear. It is the best news. And if you believe that, you won't be able to keep it in. Shame of the gospel is a fire extinguisher sent from the enemy to destroy the spread of this good news. Do not buy into it. Do not let it cool the love that you have for God. As we close up today, these are the things I want you to maybe consider, the questions ask yourself. The heat of the gospel is inside us. A love which first starts with a love for Jesus that overflows into a love for people. So how is your walk with Jesus? Are you cultivating a hot love for God? Are you cultivating a hot love for others as a result of it? So I want you to, to go out reflecting on those ideas and what needs to change in your life to cultivate that heat, to renew it. I want you to be motivated by love, not compelled, uh, sorry, not, not, not compelled out of some sort of uh, uh, duty or obligation because if you're motivated by obligation, your proclamation of the gospel will be cold and people will see right through it and you will burn out. If you're motivated by the source of love that is found in Christ, there's an unending heat source that we get to draw from. How is your love for God doing right now? And here's this kind of final truth. If you have experienced the divine love of God and have been changed by the greatest love and you love the people that you're around, your neighbors, your coworkers, why would you not want to bring them into that love? You should want to introduce those things. And if nobody is coming to know, and I'm owning this personally, if nobody is coming to know Jesus through our church, either in our Sunday gatherings or through your house churches or through your personal life and the fact that God's church lives next to your neighbor because you live next to them, then we don't have an evangelism problem. We have a love problem. So we need to ask God to change that heat us up. My prayer for you and my hope is your prayer today is that God would start a fire in your life. That might take some friction. That might take some commitments. That might mean just getting over the shame, but allowing that to burn so hot that it gets over whatever stops you from moving into an evangelistic lifestyle. Throughout history, we've seen revivals, wildfire revivals sparked and the love of Jesus embraced. And as we draw closer to the Father, the more our heart becomes like his. And so you remember that small spark that we started with. I know we're not a large church. Is anyone fooled by that? But these sparks aren't very big either. Each and every single one of them has the power to start a fire. Each and every one of them has the power hot enough to drop onto something combustible and to begin a wildfire movement. And so my prayer for us is that even though we are small, every single fire started with a single spark. Let's be the spark. Pray with me. So Jesus, thank you for um, just bringing your word to us and allowing us to consider the implications of all of these things. Thank you so much for the love that you have given us God, that as we recall our testimony and the, and the things you've rescued us from, the things you've delivered us from, the ways you've changed us, the ways you've protected us, the ways you've provided for us. 
that that would just in turn build heat inside of us to say to the people we love around us, I have to introduce you to something. I need to talk to you about a person. I need to tell you about this relationship I have with somebody who is a source for heat and transfer that to the rest of the world. God, could this be the beginning of an uncontrollable, spontaneous wildfire in every neighborhood as we go back to them? Make us hot, God. Make us hot. We lift this up in Jesus' name. Everyone said, don't say amen if you didn't mean it. Uh, <laughs>